This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Homunculus It's funny how some things just keep coming up over and over, isn't it? It's funny how, for example, you might be packing up your old video games in the process of a move and come across an old PlayStation 2 era RPG too obscure to even be considered a cult classic that you never finished and have it remind you of a weird alchemical beast. And then that same alchemical beast also crops up in a YouTube video related to a video you watched. And then a day later, when you're sitting with your girlfriend, lamenting the fact that a looming deadline is approaching and you have to put out a script for a podcast you write for, she leaps through an old D&D monster manual and, randomly, out of the blue, suggests the same weird alchemical beast that won't leave you alone? While you're eating eggs? Well, that's precisely what happened. And if we were living in the Dungeons and Dragons world or the Harry Potter universe, we'd blame fate, destiny, muses, or capricious gods and claim that this is apparently the one episode of this particular podcast that we were destined to write. But we're living in the plain old boring regular universe of real life. And that means that it's just another example of mental trickery known as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, which is related to the phenomenon of synchronicity. Which brings us right back to that old video game again. By the way, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, the word is homunculus, which comes from the Latin word hominis, meaning person. That little culus at the end is what's called the diminutive suffix. The suffix part just means that it's something that's affixed to the end of a word. And the diminutive part means that it makes it tiny. Thus, homunculus means little person. Meanwhile, the Bader-Meinhof thing is a trick your brain plays on you. Basically, it starts when you're exposed to something obscure and unusual, usually when you learn a new thing, and then you encounter it again, and again, and again. And each time you think, weird, I just heard about that yesterday. Now, people are quick to ascribe a mystical significance to such things which is why it's related to the more general phenomenon of synchronicity. And that's just a fancy term for an apparently meaningful coincidence. You know, like you're thinking about someone you haven't talked to in a while, and lo and behold, she calls you up, and you are suddenly reminded why you haven't. You start to wonder if destiny isn't playing with you. Well, sorry, it's not. It's all just probability screwing with you. You think about lots of things in a day, or a week, or a month, Sure, it might be one in a thousand chance you'll be thinking about your mother when she happens to call, but throughout the 26,880,000 moments that make up the average human life, this is accurate, we did the math based on the medieval moment representing one fortieth of an hour, out of the 26 million moments in your life, one in a thousand chances will happen 26,000 times. No mysticism needed. And that's synchronicity. But Bader-Meinhof is a little different. It happens because of two other bits of streamlining hardwired into your brain by 50,000 years of human evolution. The first is the principle of selective attention or inattentional blindness. That basically means your brain tends to ignore sensory data it deems uninteresting because it's being bombarded constantly by huge amounts of data, and it needs some way to decide what's actually worth wasting neurons on. The second is the principle of recency, or the availability heuristic, 
That just means your brain tends to ascribe more importance to information you've come upon recently as compared to older information. In other words, you only notice what your brain deems important, and it deems the most recent things as most important. And that's why, once you come across something obscure, it seems to just keep cropping up. And by the way, that name, Badermeinhof, has a funny origin story that we have to mention, mainly because it was named by the internet. But in a one in a million chance, it didn't end up named Coincidency McCoincidence Face. It was named in 1995 by a user in an internet discussion thread who claimed naming rights by the same legal precedent that lands you in the passenger seat of the car instead of in the back. He called firsties. No one had named it before. So he named it Bader Meinhof, not because that was his name, but because he'd been exposed to the name several times in the previous few days and was therefore a personal example of the phenomenon he was naming. It wasn't until 2006 that a Stanford professor named Arnold Zwicky coined the phrase frequency illusion. But Bader Meinhof had priority. Sorry, Zwicky. But we digress back to the homunculus. We'll just briefly mention that the homunculus is a monster that has appeared in various editions of Dungeons and & Dragons, and its first appearance was in the third supplement to the original white box edition of the game. That supplement, Eldritch Wizardry, was released in 1976 and has the dubious distinction of being the one that was filled with demons, devils, and all sorts of dark magic, and thereby touching off the first moral panic related to the game. For more on that, go back to our episode entitled Malabronchi on our website. Eldritch Wizardry presented the homunculus as a tiny humanoid creature created to serve a wizard in an arcane ritual that involved the wizard's blood. And the reason we're sort of glossing over the D&D presentation of the homunculus is because, well, we'd end up repeating it all when we describe the origin of the homunculus myth. Because D&D really didn't change much. It just removes some of the ickier details. See, the idea of the homunculus is an old idea, and though it really took off in the writings of 16th century alchemists, the idea of magically created tiny people goes back a lot longer. There were legends of such witchcraft and wizardry in the Middle Ages, but it actually goes back a little farther than that, because Aristotle actually believed that sperm contained a tiny little human inside it that would grow into a baby inside a woman. And we don't mean that figuratively. He really thought there was an actually minuscule human being inside sperm. And that is where the story of the homunculus really starts. We've talked a few times about how the ancient science of alchemy wasn't just about turning lead into gold or creating the hypothetical fifth element, the quintessence was actually a list of explicit goals that a budding alchemist could choose from. Transmutation of base metals, sure, and healing to the point of immortality. But there was also the creation of the universal solvent, as we described in our episode about glue. And there was the creation of life. And that pursuit was first described in an Arabic work called the Book of the Cow. Now the book was supposedly written by Plato, and then translated into Arabic later can't confirm that. No one knows who really wrote it or when it was written, because later copies of the work didn't include copyright or edition information. 
The Book of the Cow described a process whereby you could actually get the tiny person inside your sperm to grow into a fully formed miniature magical servant. Basically, you just had to put some human sperm inside a living animal's womb. A cow or you would work just fine. And then feed the animal some blood. Eventually, the animal would give birth to a blob of goo. And then you would take that goo and dredge it in a mixture of ground sulfur, iron sulfate, willow sap, and a few other ingredients. After a few days, the blob would grow human skin around it. And that meant it was time to transplant it into a glass jar, feed it the blood of its decapitated mother animal, and then wait seven days. And you'd have a homunculus. As you can see, D&D left out a lot of the ickier details. Now, that just allows you to create your basic garden variety homunculus. And it granted its master some basic shape-shifting powers, clairvoyance, and the ability to make the full moon appear. The Book of the Cow also included instructions for advanced homunculi. They would have to be grown inside different animals, monkeys, for example. And they had longer incubation periods and required more exotic powder dredges. And they would allow the magician to see and converse with spirits, control the weather, or create extremely poisonous snakes at will. But as we said, we have no idea when the Book of the Cow was actually written, or by whom. So we have to give credit for naming and describing the thing to famed 16th century alchemist Philip von Hohenheim, who wrote under the pseudonym of Paracelsus. He described his own recipe for creating a homunculus in his alchemical treatise De Natura Rerum. And while his creation method was pretty similar to the one described above, his description of the homunculus's abilities was a bit different. Basically, he didn't ascribe it any magical powers at all. Instead, he explained that the thing would grow into an actual thinking, feeling miniature person, an artificial life. And he warned his readers that they had to educate the homunculi with the greatest care and zeal, given that its creation was one of the greatest secrets revealed by God to mortals. Honestly, if you ignore the parts about injecting your semen into a horse and force-feeding it blood, basically Paracelsus was just giving some darn good advice about a parent's responsibility to their children. But suppose you want a homunculus without going through the rigmarole of taking care of a live monkey or horse and collecting human blood to feed it with. Well, believe it or not, there's an easier way. A Russian YouTube channel, a verified account with hundreds of thousands of subscribers called Kokzeluch, or How to Make, has an entire video series explaining how to make a homunculus inside an egg. And there are English subtitles, so you can follow along even if you don't speak Russian. The first in the series shows the host injecting an egg with the necessary ingredients, letting it incubate, and then cracking it open. And when he cracks it open, something horrible and black and gross spills into the bowl. He then extracts a living, moving facehugger-like creature from the mess. And we call shenanigans. Look, obviously it's fake. We don't need to point that out. Heck, we only saw the video because it was mentioned in another YouTube video series that exists solely to debunk fake YouTube videos and was therefore offered up to us as a related video 
by the capricious god of YouTube algorithms. And we wouldn't even mention it, except for the fact that it cropped up in our feed as part of the whole Bader-Meinhof mess, and for the fact that our Russian friend is actually using a very, very old magical scam. No, not the computer-generated animation he used to add the scuttling headcrab to the video. We're talking about what came out of that egg. Let's talk about egg benediction and egg limpia. See, there are several very old traditions that involve using eggs to cleanse, purify, and heal. One is an old Italian tradition that is specifically used to remove the curse of malocchio. That's the evil eye curse we discussed over three years ago in our twelfth episode, malediction. The other is an old Mexican tradition called egg limpia. And there are similar shamanic and even hoodoo traditions. They all work basically the same way. The healer, the priest or shaman or whoever, rubs a fresh egg over the subject's body, often while reciting a healing psalm or prayer. The toxins, illnesses, or curses afflicting the subject are drawn out of the subject's body and into the egg. And then the subject is cured. And to prove the healer has done something, the healer will crack the egg open. And instead of a nice, yummy egg yolk with some albumin, a horrific black mess will squelch out. Obviously, the egg's delicious innards have been corrupted by the curses and toxins and illnesses while the subject's body has been cleansed and purified. Right? Or else, how did that horrible stuff get into the egg? Well, this centuries-old favorite of faith healers and shamans actually has a very simple explanation. The healer has substituted a fertilized chicken egg for an unfertilized chicken egg. See, the eggs you're used to eating for breakfast, like the eggs we were eating when our girlfriend spouted out homunculus to complete the Bader-Meinhof trifecta that fertilized this particular episode, are actually unfertilized eggs. They don't have baby chickens in them, because the hen has not mated with a rooster. Now, this whole egg thing is kind of weird. From a biological perspective, there's really no good use in laying an unfertilized egg. In fact, a hen's body expends a lot of resources to produce and lay an egg. So wild hens, like many other birds, don't produce eggs most of the time. Their reproductive system spends most of its time just shut down. And then, when the weather is mild, and the season is right, and food is plentiful, their reproductive system flips on and starts working. But once it's on, there's no stopping it. It'll produce a few eggs, pop them out, and then shut down again. That's whether the hen has made it or not. At least, that's how it used to work. But we humans like to eat eggs. Actually, lots of animals like to eat eggs. They are rich in valuable nutrients because they are packed with all the food needed to grow a small chicken inside. And they generally don't fight back when you try to eat them. And when we domesticated the chicken, we picked the chickens that would produce the most eggs. And we took good care of them. Over time, we selectively bred chickens whose reproductive systems were basically always on. And so they would constantly pop out eggs. As long as we kept them well fed, it had never shut down due to lack of resources. And we ended up with a constant stream of delicious, nutritious eggs that didn't have any baby chickens inside. But if a hen does mate with a rooster, there will be a baby chicken inside that egg. And it will look like a gross, pulpy, malformed mess. And if you're a shaman or faith healer and want to convince people your mumbo-jumbo is doing something, 
You just have to collect some fertilized eggs from a breeding hen so that when you crack them open, there's ick inside instead of delicious. That's clearly what our Russian friend has done in his video about cracking open an egg to release a homunculus. And that brings us around to the triggering event that started us down this homunculus path. An obscure video game about alchemy and time travel that received a good critical reception when it was released in 2001 for Sony's PlayStation 2, but one that has been largely forgotten except by a very dedicated core fanbase. The game was called Shadows of Memories in Japan and Shadows of Destiny everywhere else. Shadows of Memories tells the story of a mysterious young man named Ike Kush who lives in the German town of Lebensbaum. At least, he lives there at the start of the game, briefly, because he's stabbed in the back and dies during the opening credits. Fortunately, a mysterious devilish figure offers him the opportunity to go back in time and prevent his own death. Unfortunately, the mysterious killer is undaunted by Ike's time travel tomfoolery and keeps trying to kill him. Thus, as Ike, the player has to keep traveling backwards through time and prevent each new assassination attempt. And as you explore and change the past, you also unravel the mystery of Ike's past, his amnesia, and the truth of his mysterious magical benefactor. Well, maybe. Because the game has a dozen different endings depending on what you do in the past and present, and it only really makes sense after you see all of them. And even then, there's a lot left to the imagination. The game does have an interesting time travel element. It's an example of a time travel model colloquially known by some sci-fi writers and fans as Sandima's Time, after the 1987 time travel comedy Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's basically an example of synchronicity in time travel, a word which comes from the Greek word chronos, meaning time, and syn, meaning together. Basically, it just means that the clock keeps running, whatever time period you're in. If you spend an hour in the past and return to the present, it'll be an hour later in the present. And Shadows of Memories uses that to give you a hard time limit. You have only so long to figure out how to prevent your own murder before it happens, whatever time period you're in. Now, the game itself was the brainchild of an artist and game designer named Junko Kawano at Konami Computer Entertainment, and it was her first time directing, writing, and designing her own project. She'd been hired at Konami as a character artist in 1993, and after doing some design work on the first entry in Konami's popular RPG franchise Suikoden in 1995, and composing the ending theme for its sequel in 1998, Konami gave her the reins on her own project. The time travel adventure RPG Shadows of Memory was story-focused and character-focused and featured very little traditional gameplay, but was nonetheless very well received in Japan. In the United States, it proved popular with critics, but it didn't quite catch on with many gamers due to its lack of action, the short playtime, and the convoluted plot. That said, it did earn itself a devoted cult following. But the game isn't terribly remarkable. It didn't have a particularly special place in video game history. Junko Kawano isn't exactly a household name, and the gameplay was unremarkable. So why are we bringing it up? Well, we're bringing it up because the mysterious benefactor who grants Ike time-traveling techno-magic is named Homunculus. And although the game describes him as a sort of gin-like figure and he tends to twist his master's wishes, Homunculus is actually a physically weak, frail, human-like entity. 
and he was created by an alchemist, who hatched him from a philosopher's stone, like an egg. And that's just one coincidence too many. Sure, maybe it's just synchronicity in the Bader Meinhof and all of that. Or maybe it is the shadow of destiny. And this episode was just meant to be. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. <laughs>